Will you turn with me to this epistle to the Romans? Add in the fourth chapter of the epistle to the Romans. We find the last verse. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Two weeks ago I started this series of Sunday morning messages on Abraham. Abraham our father. And this fourth chapter of Romans begins, What shall we then say that Abraham our father? And five different times in this fourth chapter he's referred to as father. Father of us all, father of many nations, the faith of our father Abraham. And in this the introductory period to my messages on Abraham. I have turned to the New Testament in order to first see what Jesus Christ says about Abraham, which we saw in our exposition of John the 8th chapter, and then to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about Abraham, which we saw last week in the third chapter of Galatians, and we will see today in the third and fourth chapters of Romans. But before we go back into Genesis and get the story about Abraham lying about his wife, said she was his sister, you know, get these other experiences, and especially this grant of all this real estate that God promises to Abraham, before we get into all these details, which we're going to deal with from Sunday to Sunday, we first want to see Abraham's place in the whole overall economy, the whole program of God. And once we get him in that position, we'll have the perspective to go into these details and see what a miserable sinner he was too, and how God forgave him of his sin, and how God undertook for him. And how God marvelously strengthened his faith and he became a man of great faith. And we are the children of this man. And since we're the children of this man, we have the same troubles he has. We have the same dispositions he had. We have the same temptations he had. But we also have the same Savior, the same Deliverer, and the same hope that Abraham had. Jesus Christ said it straight very clearly when he said, Before Abraham was, I am. And here he stands all above Abraham and all of us. He's the Son of God. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And so Jesus Christ related himself to Abraham first as being the one in whom Abraham trusted and the one who was before Abraham. And consequently, our relationship to Jesus Christ is the same relationship that Abraham had. We put our trust in Jesus just as he did. And that will be the message that you find in this fourth chapter of Romans as I expounded for us just now. 
But when we come to Paul, we find that whenever Paul gets into discussing this matter of the law and what the law is and how it's impossible to be saved by it, and then he turns over and talks about faith and begins to discuss how it is that faith comes in in the place of law. He brings up Abraham as the exhibit number one of what it is to have faith. Now, if you're going to understand this fourth chapter of Romans, you must go back to the third chapter beginning with the ninth verse. And here the apostle says, What then? Are we better than they? Are the Jews better than the Gentiles? No. No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. Now, in the first chapter, in the second chapter, the apostle has been proving that all have sinned, and he speaks about the awful wickedness, how God delivered us over to our ungodly lust, both Jews and Gentiles. And then he proceeds to speak about the awful filthiness. Will you turn, please, to Romans, the first chapter, verse 28? And we have a basis for the message we'll be delivering tonight. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, here's your University of Pennsylvania there, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without natural, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affliction, implacable, unmerciful. My, what a description he has here. And he says, we have concluded all, Jew and Gentile, every human being, we have before proved that they are all under sin. And then beginning with verse 10, he reiterates it. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Not a Jew, nor a Gentile. There's none. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are all together become profitable. Isn't it interesting that the more you get out of the way today, the more mature you are? Isn't it interesting today that we've got this thing all twisted around and the more corrupt you are in your morals, the more honest you are? That's the way we've got twisted around. And the apostle goes on to say, he says, there's none that understandeth. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
You can't even begin to have knowledge until you have the fear of God and then you can understand what knowledge is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't even begin to understand wisdom until you relate these matters to the Almighty God. And Paul says here in this great chapter of Romans, there's none that understand, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Both Jew and Gentile, they are under the same condemnation. Now, verse 19. Now, and as you open this epistle to the Romans, I wish you'd just underscore these little words, now. These are great periods. They're great transgressions. Now, we know that whatsoever things, that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And beloved, the kind of preaching that this country needs right now is the preaching that will make it guilty. The kind of preaching that this University of Pennsylvania needs today is the preaching that will make it guilty. And you'll see me tonight. They say, well, they do these things without any guilt complex. Immediately, what is this thing? They are striking at what the word of God says. That every mouth shall be stopped. And the whole world shall be guilty before God. The world violated the standard of God's righteousness. We are guilty of transgressing the law of God. And the trouble with the preaching, of course, the modernists, they've long since forgotten the law and gotten away from it. But the trouble with the preaching of many, many of those who call themselves fundamentalists is that they no longer preach the law, which brings the conviction of guilt. And when you get to that place, then you're ready to wait upon grace and to find the love of God in this redemption which is by faith. These fundamentalists, most of them are just preaching the sweet comforts of the scripture. All they think is that you people need some comfort. No, you need salvation. You need to understand justification by faith. And if you understand what the salvation has done in delivering you out from under the curse of the law and taking this burden off of you, if you can understand what Christ did when you were saved by grace through faith and not by any attempt on your part to be good or to keep the law, once you understand that, then you never forsake the grace of God. You'll never be weary of praising God that salvation is entirely of God and only by His grace. Now Paul is beginning to build up this mighty picture and he says, now we know. We know it. We see it. We understand it. Give me a Christian high school, if you will, please, where we'll know these things. Give me a Christian college, if you will, please, where you'll know these things. And we're going to have to have them. We're going to have to sacrifice to build them when our universities go down like they're going today. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Oh, beloved, here's the law. Here it stands. This God's mighty and glorious revelation of his will and purpose and nature. Here it is. Here's the transgression of that law, which is sin. Here's the condemnation and the judgment, which is death. The law, the guilt, the penalty. There's no other way. The law brings the knowledge of sin and shows us we're guilty. And the condemnation of that sin is death. And the wages of sin is death. And if you're going to live in the realm of law, you'll be under the condemnation of death. And that's all there is. And that's what the apostle says here. Now we know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith unto them that are under the law. And those who are under that law are under its curse. And there's no hope for you. Now verse 21. But now, here's another one of these big transitions. Now, now, the righteousness of God without the law. The righteousness which you can have outside of the law, not by keeping the law, not by being related to the law. The righteousness of God outside of the law is evident. It's manifest. Here it is. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. All right, I to tell you about a righteousness which is possible. A righteousness that may be obtained. A righteousness which you may have. And it's without the law. It's without all that that law does. He says, and it's witness to. It's, it's testified to. And if you just read the Old Testament, if you just read all that's in that law in that Old Testament, you'll see it's there. If you just read all of the prophets of the Old Testament, you'll find out that they were talking about a righteousness which could be obtained outside and without the law. Even the righteousness, verse 22, of God which is by faith, the faith of Jesus unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. And he's making the point, of course, that as there's no difference in condemnation for Jew and Gentile, there is no difference in the matter of faith for both Jew and Gentile. But he says this, this faith now, this, this marvelous righteousness which is manifest and which the prophets talk about and which all the Old Testament explains, now it's here. It's here. And you may have that. And if you receive that righteousness, which is received by faith in Christ, the old law and its curse, the old law and its penalties, the old law and its guilt, the old law and everything that it has done is gone. It's gone. You're no longer under its curse, no longer under its condemnation. Now let's move a little further. 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, beloved, he proceeds to explain what he means by this righteousness which is of faith. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth. God has set him. Here he is. The law was over here, but now God has set forth his son to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And in that one beautiful summary, the Apostle Paul is saying that God Almighty has sent forth his Son. Jesus came into this world, was sent by the Father to be a propitiation. That is, he would come in and he would deal with that law in our stead. He would pay the penalty of that law in our stead. He would bear the guilt of that law in our stead. This one would come and be a propitiation by faith in his blood. His blood, his life, his sacrifice would pay that penalty for us fully, completely, satisfactorily. And when he did it would declare the righteousness of God to us. When the Son of God came and died and arose, he would declare the righteousness of God for us. And this is the righteousness which is not of the law. This is the righteousness which is of faith. As far as you're concerned, my friend, you can only obtain it by faith. The only way it's possible to obtain it is by faith. Verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just. God might be still just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Oh, beloved, the Apostle Paul is presenting now first the law and second the faith. And he's showing how God can be just. Here he is. He's just. He condemns. He punishes. Here's the guilt. And how God can still be all of this and at the same time justify those who believe in Jesus, and it is summed up in one word that the modernists hate. It's summed up in one word today that's torn out of some of the new modern translations. It's summed up in one glorious declaration. Propitiation for our sins. That's how God is just, and he justifies the ungodly. That Christ came and died for our sins. Now verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. The law is established by Christ meeting its demands for us. The law is honored by the penalties being fully paid by our propitiation. And therefore, we can have a righteousness which comes to us by faith. 
Young lady, can you understand that? Little girl, can you understand that? Son, can you understand that? This means that you cannot be saved by your own works. It means you cannot be saved by anything that you can ever do. We therefore conclude that never by any deeds of righteousness, never by any works of the law, never by anything that is in man can man be saved. It all must come from outside of man. It all must come by God's glorious provision wherein God sent his Son to accomplish for us that which had to be done before we could be freed from the consequences of sin. My I delight in that last word, this establishes the law. Beloved, if our society believed in the law of God like it should, we'd have law-abiding citizens. And every bit, I tell you, beloved, every bit of the confusion and every bit of the breakdown, all the rioting, all this attack upon law and order, all this business assaulting the police, all this business of going after our draft cards and all that, every bit of it is of one perfect parcel. There is a rebellion against God's law. There is a rebellion against the law and the order that God has ordained. And Paul is honoring it here in this glorious and blessed message from the Scripture. Do you understand why they don't want the Bible in the public schools? They don't want this respect for law. Do you understand why the theological seminaries taken over by the liberals are attacking the Bible? They don't want you to believe these things about the law. Do you understand why we have new confessions and new creeds which lay aside these provisions about the law? They don't want you to believe these things. But if you will believe as Paul has outlined in this blessed passage this morning what he's saying about the law and how we have been delivered from it by the finished work of Christ, then we go forth with the faith of Abraham. And that's what he says in chapter 4. Now look at it. What then shall we say that Abraham our father is pertaining the flesh that found? What are we going to say about Abraham? He's back there in the law and the prophets. If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof he could glory. But not before God. God won't accept the glory of any man in his works. He won't accept it. But if Abraham had anything whereby he could glory, it would be because of his works. But verse 3, what saith the scripture? Let's go back and see what the scripture says now about Abraham. Was it by the works of the law? Or was it by the hearing of faith? Was it by the righteousness that Abraham obtained by his good works? Or was it the righteousness that Abraham obtained by faith? What saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Beloved, if you will believe what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, if you will believe that God sent his son to be a sacrifice for you, if you will believe that God ordained that Christ should pay the penalty for your sins,
and then God raised him from the dead. If you will believe God in that matter, you will have imputed unto you, you will have given unto you, you will have transferred unto you by a formal glorious declaration of God that the just shall live by faith. Abraham believed God. What saith the scripture? Was it by the law? No, no, no. It was by faith that God made a promise to Abraham. And that promise was that in his seed all the nations would be blessed. And that seed was singular. And that seed was Christ. And Abraham believed in Jesus Christ. And when Abraham believed in Jesus Christ, the scriptures report that God accounted it unto him for righteousness. And he was saved in that way. Isn't it interesting today that all these liberals come along and they're improving? We're going to update the religion of Haddonfield next week. My, we'll have a nice time talking about Haddonfield next Sunday night. They're updating, 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 updating. Beloved, you can't update Abraham. He's just here. In fact, he's already gone 4,000 years ago. And what saved Abraham 4,000 years ago is the faith that saved Carl McIntyre here in the 20th century and that saved you. The same identical faith, same in substance, same in power, same in its glory, the same identical faith that God gave to Abraham and which God saw in Abraham is what God must see in you. And when he sees it, it will be accounted to you for righteousness' sake. Now let's go on with Abraham. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. He's proceeding to argue just a little bit. He says, if you're going to work for your salvation, then you're not in the field of grace. Beloved, if you're going to have the grace of God to be saved, you better quit working. This is one place where you don't work. This is one place where there's no work involved. You just must abandon any idea of working so far as your salvation is concerned. He says if Abraham had been working, why it would have been a matter of a debt. God owed him, he worked for God, and God needed to pay him, and it would be a matter of debt. But to him that worketh not, to him that doesn't do any work, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Beloved, this is the one place in all the world where you must be poor. This is real poverty. You are so poor that you haven't earned a single thing in all your years that can help you get straight with God. Absolutely nothing. Now he speaks of David. And then he comes on down, and we have, of course, the whole remainder of the section dealing with Abraham. Cometh this blessed, verse 9, cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only? Circumcision, that's the Jew. Or upon the uncircumcision also? That's the Gentile. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Well, we've said that. We've established that. How then was it reckoned? 
When was it? How was it that God declared Abraham saved by his faith? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. In other words, Paul is arguing from the historical record in Genesis that Abraham didn't get circumcised until after he'd been saved. And Abraham's circumcision became a sign and a seal of the righteousness which was faith, but that sign and seal in Abraham, the adult, came after the event and not before the event. And Paul is arguing, beloved, this is all you need. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration. We don't believe that the putting of the water on anybody's head has anything to do with their salvation. Salvation is by faith. Baptizing doesn't save anybody. Baptism is something God has commanded us to do as adults after we're saved. Circumcision came after you were saved. And that's the teaching here in this relationship to Abraham at this point. And Paul is making the argument here that Abraham didn't even count circumcision as a good deed which might contribute to his salvation. It had nothing to do with it. Now let's move on down, if you will, please, to verse 12 and verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness, the righteousness of faith, which he had being yet uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. Though they be not circumcised, that's the Gentiles, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. How clear the scriptures are, how the argument is beyond any possible misunderstanding. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was made not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 18, Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Beloved, Paul is arguing at this point that Abraham's faith was so strong that he was going to be saved by the promise of God that even though he himself was a hundred years old 
And even old Sarah herself had passed the normal time for a woman to bear a child. And her womb is here said to be dead. Abraham still believed that God would bring that seed in which he would trust and he would be saved. Poor Abraham had a barrier to his faith that you and I don't have. He had a barrier to his faith. God gave Abraham a promise. He said, Abraham, it's going to be thy seed. It's going to come from thee, and it's going to be in Sarah. But Sarah was too old to bear a child, and he was an old man too. And Abraham couldn't understand, but he believed it. And he had a, a barrier to get over that you and I don't have. Abraham looked forward to promise. And will you please turn to the first chapter of Romans, the very first verse of the first chapter of Romans, and see how the Apostle Paul opens this great epistle to the Romans. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Everything in the Old Testament was promised, promised, promised. He promised before. Now Paul turns around and says, it's the gospel I've received that it's taken place. Abraham's faith had to deal with some promises that were to be fulfilled even in Sarah right there in his lifetime, but which would not be fully fulfilled until the Messiah came 2,000 years ago. And he had all these barriers to get over. And you and I simply have to believe a report of some great event that's taken place. It was promise in the Old Testament to you and me. It's good news. Now he says, Abraham was strong in faith. And beloved, once you get this faith and you know that you are saved by faith and not by the works of the law, once you come over into this realm of grace, once you live in this realm where God's grace abounds unto you, let your faith increase. Once we get over into this realm where we're not under law, we're not under the curse, we're not under condemnation, we have been fully justified. We have the righteousness of God. The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to us. And we're the children of God. Now let's live by faith. Let's walk by faith. Let's attempt great things by faith. Let's do it. We're people of faith. And that's what Paul is arguing here about Abraham. And I'm going to give you these great messages that deal with the beginning of Abraham's faith as I'm doing now. But oh, beloved, I'm going to go on and we'll move into these other realms where we see the faith of Abraham in his experiences day by day. We've been saved. Let's know that we're justified by faith, but let's live in the grace of God. Let's live in this realm of liberty where we have the liberty of the sons of God and let's go forth by faith. And my, this week I'm flying all the way to, Pal to Pakistan, way out there to start a faith theological seminary. My, what it's going to be. The faith of Abraham. Oh, is that faith yours this morning? And do you see this line so clearly that you can go from this church and say, Yes, indeed, I am a child of Abraham. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we thank thee for this great 
and mighty teaching from thy word. And we thank thee that our world is not guilty today because men have not been preaching thy law to it. And we've been going down in this awful filth of sin. And oh God, today as we sing of Jesus and as we trust our blessed Savior, we thank thee that we are of a different order. We are of the realm of faith, a world of righteousness, and thou hast imputed this righteousness of Christ to us. And now may we go forward and live for Jesus, walking by faith, delighting in the victories that faith gives us as Abraham's children. Amen. All right, let's stand as we close, please. Hymn number 388, O Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. 388.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.